DJ Envy, Angela Yee, and Charlemagne the God. Wake that ass up. The Breakfast Club is on. Right. I love coming here. I'm never not going to come here. You guys are good to me. In return, I'm always going to be good to you. For a lot of people in the hip-hop generation, The Breakfast Club is where people get the information on the topics, on the artists, and everything like that. In that aspect, radio is still important. The Breakfast Club. When my name come up, respect it. Angela Yee is out out because we out, but she's out out. We ain't really here. This is um a recording. You know, it's Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and he had a dream that we stay our ass homes this morning on his day. That is right. So I know y'all mad because y'all like, damn, y'all just took three weeks off for the holidays, but now y'all on vacation again. I'm just doing what the good Lord says we should do and corporate America, using our holiday days. I mean, banks are closed, so we closed. That's right. It is. But um, today, so uh, if you missed it, uh, Barack Obama, if you didn't see that interview or hear that interview, we're going to get that back on for you this morning. Barack Obama actually is the epitome of what Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream would have been. Right? Martin Luther King Jr. wanted us to live in a society where people were judged by uh, the content of their character, not the color of their skin. We're still not there yet, but the fact we have a black president, uh, you know, biracial president, who definitely presents as black, we had that. That's the epitome of Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream. Correct. And now we got a black... Oh, my God. We got to play Kamala Harris this morning, too. Oh, yeah? We've interviewed Kamala Harris three times. Right. Interviewed her way before she even ran for president. And now she is the Madam Vice President. She's the MVP. That's so, right. wow, those are two people who are the epitome of what Dr. Martin Luther King right. Jr. was talking about in his dream. So that's right. So that's this right. morning we're going to get on our interview with Kamala Harris. Vice which President one Kamala now? Harris. We had three. I'm going to tell you which my, my, honestly, my favorite one was not, the, the second one was the one that went super viral with, you know, she talked about, you know, Tupac and everybody trying to yeah, take yeah. it out of context. My, my favorite one was the first one when she came, when she wasn't even running for president, when she was just Senator of California. That was my favorite one. Okay, so we'll get that one on. And what, what's your favorite Barack Obama interview? The one we did in November, <laughs> um, uh, whatever whatever month that was of last year. The one and only one we did. So we'll get both those on this morning. So stay with us this morning. And happy Martin Luther King Day. It's the Breakfast Club. Good morning. Wake up, wake up. Wake your ass. This is your time to get it off your chest. Whether you're mad or blessed, we want to hear from you on the Breakfast Club. Hello, who's this? Jeremy. Hey, Jeremy, get it off your chest. Hey, what's going on, Andy? What's up, Charlamagne? What's up, Yee? Jeremy. What's King. up? Yo, this is crazy because I never get through. Um, I just want to shout out, um, you know, um, Biden and Kamala for winning. I want to shout out my roommate, Eddie. And I just want to tell everyone have a nice day. Um, and I, I got your book, Charlamagne. I got the audio version of... Black privilege, and then I have the Thank you, brother. Uh, copy of the other one, man. Um, Chuck one. Doing a great Thank job, you, man. And I hope you guys all have a nice day. You right, too, Thank Jeremy. You too. Shout out, shout out to your roommate Eddie too, man. Oh, uh, he's gonna love that. Uh, <laughs> Was y'all in college <laughs> together? Nah, we um, we're tw- I'm 28, he's 29. I'm an accountant. He's an inside salesman. Okay. Okay. Y'all in love? Nah, nah, nah. I got <laughs> this is roommates. Yeah, the roommates. 
Oh, two other wheels. Okay. Why can't two? Why can't two? I'm just asking. Share a place and not be in love. Bro, I'm just asking questions. That's all. He was trying to. He was trying to bunk up with you guys. That's the reason why. He had a whole scenario in his head. I wasn't. I was just asking questions. They definitely spicy. I'm just asking questions. Very spicy. I got a shout out to you and Eddie. Sam. Sam. Uh, all right. Oh, Sam, I said what's Sam. happening. All right, bro. He never wants to get through again. I know, right? This guy got fantasies over there. <laughs> Y'all love. Hello, who's this? My name's Rochelle. Hey, Rochelle. Get it off your chest. I just want to shout out my amazing boyfriend. Oh. You going to say his name? What's his name, Rochelle? His name's Todd. Hey, Todd. Hey, Todd. Good morning. That's, that was nice of you, Rochelle. What did he do that? What did he do yesterday that made you feel that way? I'm going to shout him out in the morning on the radio. He had to do something. Well, every day he always makes sure that I have breakfast and he makes sure I have lunch. We work together. So. Aww. Oh, see? Pop tarts so nice. and lunchables so go a long way. I'm telling you, man. He is the sweetest. Aww, That's right. Shout out to Todd. All my brothers, give your woman some Pop tarts in the morning, some lunchables for lunch, and it'll go a long way. Salute to you, Todd. Now, what are you gonna, oh, what are you gonna do for him to show how thankful you are? I always Hot pockets. Coffee every morning. Coffee? Yes. Amazing. Every morning he gets a fresh cup of coffee. Amazing. See, it's the little things, man. Shout what out. What you mean to that's you. it? Yeah, she appreciates it. He appreciates it. They love each other. All right. Oh yes, of course. All right. Well, you have a good morning. Hello, who's this? Yo, what's up? Jay Lee, checking in, Railway, South Carolina. South Crack. What's, what's up, up brother? Get it off your chest. I I just, I just came on in and say what's up with y'all, man. I want to bless y'all. I want to do a quick little freestyle real quick next time with y'all. Oh, oh Lord. I swear if you wasn't from South Carolina, I would shut this down, but oh, go right, ahead. On, go man. ahead, brother. Go ahead. Check this out, though. My life is the same way. Sometimes I feel like I wake up to the same day trying to make a living, man. I'm trying to make it out. I'm trying to make sure that my family do it so we ain't spending that. So every day I hustle, yeah, I pray to God daily. Watch me in these streets and somebody will try to play me and to watch over my ears. Oh, so I keep my great clothes. Y'all need me that. Yo, 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 you, you got to slow that down. You got to slow that down, my South Carolina brethren. You're going too fast. Like, what you going? What's okay. up? You're rapping like your life you. depends on it. Who hung up on him? Drum, that's disrespectful, Drum. That was Drum. Drum, that's disrespectful. Don't hang up on my South Carolina brethren. I don't to do this to me. Envy's back. This is all him now. Now yeah. you guys know. You yeah. said this is Envy's back and it's all him. Wow. wow. Shut up. Damn. Back. You was like, Envy's back and it's all him. <laughs> wow. Goodness. Thank <laughs> you, bro. Damn. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Hello, who's this? Hey, how's it going? It's Fernando. Good morning. Good morning, What's up, man. Fernando? Get off your chest. Yes, sir. How's it going? Uh, I got a quick question for Charlamagne, man. Yes, sir. Hey, man, I'm going to ask you a question. I want to know if somebody ever asked you this, but who's your top three donkeys of all time? And would you ever consider, consider giving donk, a donkey hall of fame? Uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the year, we do a top five donkeys of the year. I don't, I'm going to be honest with you. Top donkeys of all time, Donald Trump is definitely in the top three. I mean, I, I've given it to him more than anybody. And, um... I'm going to always put myself in the top three because I always say, you know, when you give people the credit, you got to give everybody the credit they deserve for being stupid, including yourself. I don't know who the third one would be, though. <laughs> sounds fair. Sounds fair. Yeah. Y'all want to clues Braun from the Breakfast Club. Thank you, King. Thank you, brother. All right, have a good one. Get it off your chest. 800-585-1051. If you need to vent, hit us up now. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. Your time to get it off your chest, whether you're mad or blessed. So, so you better have the same energy. We want to hear from you on the Breakfast Club. Hello, who's this? This is Hall. 
What's up, bro? Get it off yeah. your chest. Yeah, what I had to get off my chest, man, I feel like a lot of people like sitting back waiting for the government to do things instead of realize what we can do ourselves. Like, I ain't had nothing a couple years ago before the pandemic. During the pandemic, it won't really an issue with me, you know. I started driving trucks for a company, bought a truck off of Facebook. I'm a owner-operator. I made 14000 a week. It's That's so dope. much stuff people can do out here, you know, better themselves. Cause I'm trying to break a generational curse where families are growing up in uh in apartments instead of owning homes because the his phone broke up, but I agree with him. You know what I mean? I, I mean, uh, we, we definitely should push our government and push our, you know, national and local government to do things for us, but we definitely got to do for ourselves, too. Word to the honorable Elijah Muhammad. Do and for what he said is, And what he said is also right. I know a lot of people want to be rappers. They want to be uh, DJs. They want to be producers. They want to be athletes. They want to get OnlyFans. There's a lot of other businesses that people can do, and driving trucks is a major business. They make a lot of money. So really, really look into it because you think about it. One thing that didn't stop on that road was those trucks, whether they were delivering food, whether they were, they were delivering toilet paper and paper towels. The, those roads stay full with those trucks, so people still had those jobs with them trucks. Yeah, and that's why I always tell brothers, man, you go out there and learn a trade. You know what I mean? Because there's certain things that just never, ever, ever going to stop. You're going to always need an electrician. You're going to always need a plumber. You know what I mean? And those people, those brothers make good money. Those sisters make good money. Absolutely. Hello, who's this? Yo, what's up, Envious Mello? How y'all feeling? Mello, what's popping? What's going on? Yo, Mello, your phone is trash. Your phone is garbage. Your phone has been garbage for at least seven of the ten years that we've been here on The Breakfast Club. (laughs) Hello, who's this? Garbage. Hey, good morning, good morning. This is Jay from Brooklyn. Jay, what's happening, King? What's good, what's good? I just want to say congratulations to you guys on 10 years strong. I'm just came here. Thank you, brother. I thank you, brother. One of my favorite moments was the Ray J call. Classic. That was a classic call. Yeah, before iHeartRadio, you had to get an app on the iPhone just to be able to hear you guys. You're a liar. You're a liar, and you've always been a liar. You've always been iHeartRadio, sir. I guess he means the from, app. He from day one, we had the iHeartRadio app. First day on the air. Yes. First day on the air, we had the iHeartRadio app. Well, I Absolutely. guess you're a liar. You're a liar. you always be a liar. Well, it wasn't free. Yes, it was. <laughs> it's always been free. It's always been free it's now. free now. I'm telling you. It was, a, it was a FM app on the iPhone. Boy, only a black person will tell you what's going on in your house. I'm oh telling goodness. you. My goodness. I know what goes on in your house. From day one, the iHeartRadio app has been free. From day one, when we started December 6, 2010, we had the iHeartRadio app. Hello, who's this? Oh, this is Mike, man. Mike, man, what up? Get up what up, chest, Mike? Mike? Man, I was mad about some stuff, man. Uh... You know, really, man, it took me five years to get through on this show, man. You waited five years to tell us that? No, I waited five years to talk to y'all, man. I've been calling for five years straight, man. So what do you want to say? But, uh, man, man, just shout out the boys at Rob Buster Incorporated, man. We on our way to work, man. Everybody be safe, man. Ain't even mad at nothing happening. Be alive, man. Yeah, Rob there you go, King. All right, bro. happy to be here. Uh, I appreciate it, man. Get it off your chest. 800-585-1051. If you need to vent, hit us up now. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. Back, back, back. You're checking out the world's most dangerous morning show. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the guy. We are The Breakfast Club. We got a special guest on the line. 
He was frozen for a little bit, so he said, let me go by the indoor pool where he has better service. Ladies and gentlemen, Jordan Lucas. My guy. What's up, brother? I feel like you late this year, man. You done dropped ADHD and evolution, and you just popping up on us? No, man, I'm, I'm, I'm late. I stopped doing interviews and stuff a long time ago. Why? I don't like I didn't like the way they twist the narrative and twist the words and try to, you know what I mean? Like manipulate the situation and then put clickbait and all that weird stuff, man. It was just weird, but I just I didn't like it. And I just I felt like uh the last interviews I had, I was actually with Atlantic. And it's and it started feeling like they were more favors than than, mm. than the people actually really wanted to interview me because once I sat down with them, you know, it was like they didn't really do their research and then you know what I'm saying? Like they were just asking stupid questions, and it was just like, bro, like come on. And then, and then actually, Hot Nine Seven, who had told me um, in the interview that Atlantic or whoever reached out to them to do to get me the interview, and I didn't like that. It was like you making you making me feel like you know what I mean. You don't want me here, but you're chasing for an interview. That's yeah, what I feel like that. I didn't like that. I didn't like that. So I was just like, I'm straight, I'm straight with interviews, bro. I don't want to feel like I'm here because made a call or something like i didn't like that so. you put you put so much into your music and your videos and the and the whole concepts mm -hmm. so i can see why you would feel that way you should actually do something where you interview yourself maybe you could be the journalist and then you can show people how it's done that'd be interview. dope in a song <laughs> that'd be cool. is that why you left atlantic is that the reason why you decided to, to lead a major nah i left i left atlantic because it just didn't feel i didn't feel like i was growing pause I didn't feel like they knew what to do with a Jordan Lucas. I don't think your ideas are easily explainable to like these culturally clueless people at these record labels, though. Like you're yeah. the type of person that you just gotta show trust. him. You gotta trust. You gotta trust him what he does. Absolutely. Does Jordan Lucas feel like he's underrated? You dropped two projects this year, two great projects, Evolution and ADHD, and I don't feel like your name is in the conversation the way it should be. Do I feel like I'm underrated? Um, hmm. Yes. No, if I if I am underrated, then it's my fault. You, you think? Know, Why? Why do you say that? Yeah, it just means I'm not working hard enough. I need to work. I gotta figure out another plan on 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 how to be more visible. That's all it is. I don't blame anybody for that, but myself. You know, I don't think somebody decides like this guy is gonna be underrated, and then now everybody's like he's underrated. I just think that that has to do with the artist. I don't yeah. think so because I think the art and you as an artist is there. The art that you put out, whether it's your videos and the songs and the music and the albums, so I think is there. So I, I don't necessarily believe it's you though. Nah, but again, like it's it's. It's all about what's working. See, my I have like a, a a certain type of lane, you know, with my storytelling stuff, like whatever, whatever. Like the highest streaming artists right now are a young, a young artists, and you know their records aren't really storytelling. You know what I'm saying? It just it's all swagged out. It's all, you know, for whatever the case is. So the visibility on them is a little bit different because of the, because they 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 attract like the young young kids, you know what I'm saying? The 15, 16, 17-year-olds, that's not really my thing, you know what I mean? Like, I haven't really even tapped into that market yet. So, you know, I just have to figure out what it is that I have to be doing better, you know what I'm saying? Also, at the same time, like, everybody's all in cahoots with each other. Like, these records, they, these cats, they all do records with each other. I don't, I haven't done records with anybody, really, like that. Except for, like, the Ghosts. You, you know Chris Brown. Brown. Man, you got you Will, Will Smith. Smith. You yeah, got Chris Brown. Brown. You said I haven't you done records with nobody. Eminem. 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 You got Rick Ross on the album on Legend on on Evolution. Let's talk about it. Who the else? game, Eminem. the game, the game did a record with you. I think you're talking about the younger generation. I'm saying oh. that's what he's talking about. Man, f them kids, join them.
Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. The visibility, like I don't have records with NBA Young Boy. I don't got records with Kodak. I don't. Do have you records. need them though? I would like to see you with like Griselda. You know what I mean, Royce. Ah, that's the. That's what I'm saying. The Spitters. I, I, no, but that's what I'm saying. Like I feel like I, maybe I keep putting myself in this box where like you just expect that, and I don't like that. Like Griselda, I love Griselda, but I love Royce. Those are my family. But I'm just just relating the lyrical box. Like nah, bro. Like that's not where I want to be. Like I feel like I have the kick. I could absolutely make mainstream record. I could and still be joiner. I could I could yeah. jump on a. NBA young boy and, and, and be John and Lucas and kill it and still fit in with the new. I haven't t- tapped into that yet. That's something I haven't d- done yet, right? I've just been kind of doing me and I've been very successful at doing me. So I'm not really tripping about the overrated thing. I'm rich. I'm, I've done. I, I've done everything. That I, I've got out the hood. You know, I've retired my mom. You know, what I'm saying I done bought houses. Like I'm good. Like I'm. That's what we wanted, right? That's that's yeah. what we. All right, we got more with Joyner Lucas when we come back. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. Good morning, everybody. It's DJ NV Angela Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. We're still kicking it with Joyner Lucas. Yee. Yes, Joyner, and I did want to ask you about the song Like a River. That's the last song on the album. It's about your father. How therapeutic was it for you, and what was your state of mind while you were writing that song? Yeah, it was very, uh, it was very therapeutic because I held a lot of this energy in, you know, for such a long time. That situation specifically is just a, a really, really volatile, you know, situation that I can't, I can't figure it out. I can't talk about it in depth of, of what actually happened, but if I told you what happened, it would be quiet. Everybody would be quiet. And you would just be like, damn, it's a really f-ed up situation, but it's something that it lives with me mm-hmm. you know, because I, because to this day, I still see things that make that it's still, you know, it's still, it just doesn't make any sense. It's like, why would, right? But I think that um, me creating this record, it really helped, it helps me heal because now that I know I'm not keeping, you know, everything away, you know, from the world, I like to express myself in my music, you know? So the, the fame, amongst a lot of other things really cost me that relationship. And it's a relationship that would never be repaired ever again. Wow. No matter what, can never be repaired. And not only did I lose that, but I also lost everybody else on that side. Wow. Your, your whole father's side of the family? Everybody that knew about what the situation was and everybody that continued to have to continue to have a relationship with him, they had to go. Wow. wow. And it's 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 it's, it's it, I, honestly what it feels like. Wow. That you put your, your your family, your entire family, on one plane, and the whole plane just crashed. Like Yikes. Everybody, everybody. So right? nobody on that side reached out to you when this. Oh, no, <laughs> kind of, but but not really. And and they have, and I've attempted to try to. And it's just it's one of those things where it's like, for me, it's like once when it, when it, when we're talking about certain. Right, like there's some things that are forgivable. There's some things that you can like. Okay, this is just another. But then there's like certain things that's just like nah. Like bro, there's a line. Like when it comes to this, it's you gotta pick a side. I can't fuck with you knowing that you fuck with him. That's just what it is. And if you fuck with him, I don't care. Your mom, your brother, your sister, your daughters. If you fuck with him knowing this, that's it. Period. And it cost me again. It, it, 
you know, due to that. And I and I understand it. I get it. You know, that's your son. That's your brother. It's your, your, your whatever. Cool. Have that relationship. It is what it is. Get leave me the fuck alone. But that's that's definitely a part of my life that is a very dark place for me. Because again, it's that crash. It's mm-hmm. that plane crash. You know, it's just, everybody died. And it's just like now. It's just I had to create my own world. You know what I mean? And completely leave that side behind and completely pick up the pieces and just and continue to go. But it is difficult. It is a very difficult thing to do because you still don't understand it. You know what I mean? But it's like you got to do it. And it, it definitely had my mental health up for a little bit. Have you spoke to your therapist about it? I don't have one. You got to get one, brother. I don't know, a million percent. I agree with you. I a billion percent agree with you. And I want to, and I and I will, and I am. I just haven't yet. And I definitely, I definitely need one. I'll tell you that. Add that to your repertoire going into 2021. Wow. And again, everything, everything happened so fast for me, bro. Everything changed completely quick. So I, I definitely need like therapy to deal with a lot of this that I've, I've dealt with and you know a, a lot of my new responsibilities and like my new life that I have now it's definitely a complete I'm, 360 yo cause you know therapy helped me to deal with a lot of issues I was having with my pops you know yeah. what I mean a lot of things that I hadn't had conversations with him about a lot of things I hadn't dealt with you know from, from when I was when I was younger and I was holding a lot of resentment and, and, and a lot of, 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 of anger towards him you know, but therapy helped me to really process it. Because one thing you realize about your parents, especially your father, is he was a human being just doing the best that he could. You know what I mean? But he had his own demons and his own flaws and his own things that he was dealing with. So it makes you have more empathy for him. For, for at least for me. Empathy. You know empathy. Join us and that. You know Damn, we, we appreciate you for joining in this. You've been up here yeah. for an hour, man, and we appreciate you sharing all your stories. I, nah, I, appreciate you. I know you don't like doing interviews, so hopefully you'll come back. Envy's done. Envy's like, all right, we appreciate nah, you. Nah, we can stay here all day. I ain't got nothing to do. It's cold. It's cold. I ain't got no bags to chase. We can stay here all day, brother. I appreciate you guys. Uh, sorry that this whole COVID thing prohibited us from actually meeting in person again and, you know, sitting down and chopping it up. I brought you guys some You dishes. look rich, I ain't even gonna lie to you. I'm proud of you, bro. You look rich <laughs> Yo, you see how you move the camera? It's some glasses in that pool. Say, yeah, man, I appreciate you. I really do. I really appreciate you guys, man, for everything, yo. Thank you. Peace, King. All right, it's Jordan Lucas. It's the Breakfast Club. Good morning. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are the Breakfast Club. Now, when we come back, we're going to get on our interview with Barack Obama, President Barack Obama. So we're going to get that on in a second. So don't move. Happy Martin Luther King Day. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. Envy, Angela Yee, and Charlemagne the God. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlemagne the God. We are The Breakfast Club. I know. This is what we do every day. You were talking nice and low. This is how we talk every day. (laughs) And it it wasn't coming in hot, and now you are. Well, now we are. We have a special (laughs) guest. He served eight years as the 44th president of the United States. Ladies and gentlemen... President Barack Obama. Never heard of him. Hey. Never heard of him. Well, <laughs> you know what? I heard of y'all. And I appreciate you guys having me. It's wonderful to see you again. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you. Now, we don't have much time, so let's get right into let's it. Let's do it. A Promised Land. Why is that the title for your book? When I think about America, I think about both where we've been, 
where we might be going. Uh, I'm reminded of Dr. King's speech, you know, the famous speech he gave uh, shortly before he got shot about, oh, I, I might not get there with you, but I've been to the mountaintop and I, and I see the promised land. And I think that that idea that we're not where we need to be, mm -hmm. but we still act on the faith and the belief that we can get there. That's how I think about America. That's how I think about you know, my own political journey. Uh, it is not one where uh, it's ever going to be finished. It's not one where racism is gone or inequality is gone, but, but, but we can continually try to do better. That was the, the spirit uh, that I wanted to communicate. You say in the preface that America's ideals have always been secondary to conquest and subjugation, a racial caste system, and that to pretend otherwise is to be complicit in a game that was rigged from the start. So my question is, if the game is rigged and we know the fight is fixed, how could black people ever believe in this idea of America being a promised land? That's one argument, and that's how some people feel, and obviously there's evidence of that. Slavery, Jim Crow, Native Americans being driven from their lands. On the other hand, what we also have stories of is uh, abolition and the civil rights movement and you know, folks fighting for their freedom and each generation passing on uh, a legacy of struggle that results in something a little bit better. What I try to do, book as a whole, is paint an honest picture about how there's a gap between the myth of America and the reality of America. We'll never completely close that gap, but if we put in the effort, if we stay focused, reach out, then we can get closer to the ideal. You know, one of the, the lessons I try to teach in the book about politics is it's never gonna be perfect. We live in a big country with a lot of different points of view. We've got hundreds of years of oppression and discrimination that have to be overcome. We've got you know, the natural human impulses that you see around the world, greed, <laughs> power, you know, folks trying to get over on others. But you also see kindness, courage, folks looking out for each other and a lot of goodness along with the bad. And, and in politics, the job is not to think that you're ever gonna eliminate all the bad. It's can, can you empower the good to, to make more kids get a better education, to make sure that some folks have better health care, to make sure that you know, there's less discrimination and that the police are more accountable. And if you, if you do that and you stick with it, you know, the distance that we've traveled, let's say just in my lifetime, we were talking before you know, we got on the air, I'm, I'm 59, I don't feel old. And in you know, human history, 59 years is a blink of the eye. None of us would have been sitting here 59 years ago. Uh, we couldn't imagine, you know, you guys having your own show that you control and that you produce and I couldn't imagine being a former president and having a best-selling book. Uh, yeah, that just wasn't in the cards, and that was just, you know, in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. And so you, we, we, we can imagine, if we keep working, that maybe our kids, certainly our grandkids, if we do it right, they're going to be that much more uh, ahead of the game. Now, but 
you know, one thing uh, that we always have to remember is history doesn't just go forward, it can go backwards too. And if we're not vigilant, things can get worse. Uh, President Obama, I wanted to ask you something about Reverend Jeremiah Wright from in your book, because you've addressed it, Michelle Obama has addressed it. Do you think that in today's climate, the comments and the speeches that Jeremiah Wright gave would still be looked at the same way where you would have had to distance yourself from him today? Yeah, you know, it's, look, it's, it's an interesting thing. As I write about in the book, you know, Reverend Wright is an example of somebody who, supremely gifted preacher, uh, Trinity United Church of Christ on the south side of Chicago, uh, had amazing ministries, still does. Um, I was very close to uh, a lot of people in that congregation as well as Reverend Wright. In national politics, if you can take out a bunch of sound bites that say, Goddamn America, even if the context of it is prophetic and biblical and he's trying to describe, you know, how somebody might feel. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't promoting the notion that God was damning America. He was making the point that if you looked at slavery and discrimination, you could see the conclusion of people feeling that there was not an alignment with Christian values and America. But if you'd see it, a two-minute soundbite, trying to explain that is too complicated. In my campaign, I had to constantly manage the fact that the truths that black folks experience on a day-to-day -day basis are not going to be the same as the truths that the country as a whole experience. But if you want to operate at the highest levels of politics, you have to be able to communicate and translate for uh, the country as a whole. And, and there were times where I was surprised by the reaction of folks generally, uh, you know, white voters to certain things that to me didn't seem like it was something they should be surprised or upset about. Um, and I suspect attitudes would probably be a little bit different now. And I give, uh, to give one example that I use in the book, um, when, uh, Professor Skip Gates gets arrested in his own house. I write about the fact that in a press conference, I'm asked about it and I said, well, you know, I think the police probably acted stupidly in arresting, uh, you know, a 60 year old professor who's got a lame leg in, in his, his own, own house, house. house right. after he's shown them ideas, even if he cussed out the police, all they have to do is just leave. Right. And that, was treated with a you know all kinds of controversy and my polling with white voters dropped drastically because the notion is somehow I was insulting the police. I think today, in light of everything that's happened and part of what happened this summer, in terms of raising awareness of potential bias in the criminal justice system, I suspect that that would not have uh, seemed as much of a controversial statement as it was viewed at the time, even though at the time I didn't think it was particularly controversial. You talk about that in the Good Fight chapter, uh, the, the Henry Lewis Gates situation, and but you also say that wouldn't have happened to a white person in the same situation, but at the same time you said you wish you had have said that then, but you didn't. Um, so who, when we bite our tongue in situations like that, who are we trying to protect? One of the things that you, that I try to communicate in this book is What's the best way to uh, 
expand folks' understanding, right? The, you know, where, where do you see teachable moments? And there have been times where, for example, the tragedy in Charleston, uh, when Rem Pickney and others who were praying and invited a young white man in to pray with them, he then shoots them. He's obviously, his head's been filled up with uh, racist ideology. That was a teachable moment where I could say some things that I might not have said in another context. Um, you know, and part of what I also try to describe in the book is the fact that the prophetic voice that you have, um, if you are a civil rights leader, if you're a Malcolm, if you're a Martin, is not going to be the same voice as if you're a politician. Because politicians, the whole thing is, I've got to figure out how do I get this white senator from this conservative state to maybe support this bill. That's different from me teaching as a civil rights leader or a movement leader. And each, uh, each of us have different roles to play in that process. Now we have more with Barack Obama. President Barack Obama, when we come back, it's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne Tha God. We are The Breakfast Club. We're celebrating Martin Luther King Day. We're not here, but we're getting on our interview with Barack Obama. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. One thing I love about the book, President Obama, is you talk about your relationship with your wife. And you talk about how your wife is the boss and you're scared of her. <laughs> you also talk about how every decision has to be approved by your wife. You know, one thing that I, I, I love about the book is everybody talks about relationships and sometimes things seem perfect. Yeah. But in your book, you show that things aren't perfect. You know, right. I've been married 19 years. So when you talk about your wife and you talk about how hard it was and how she didn't want you to run, how bad did it get in the household? Did it ever get to the point where it was like, you know what, maybe this is not going to work for us? Or was that never an option when it came to your relationship? No, I, th I, think, th I think there were times where certainly she thought this wasn't going to work. <laughs> Michelle is somebody who uh, has uh, a different temperament than me. And, and I think she'd admit that she has more of a temper than I does, uh, than I do. Um, I think she can get more pessimistic sometimes about things than I can. I tend to be pretty even keeled. Yeah, we'll figure this out uh, kind of approach. Uh, but as I write about in the book, sometimes that's that itself is frustrating to your partner, right? If you're all like, hey, honey, you know, relax. Why are you getting so excited about right. stuff? You know, <laughs> then she'll be like, oh, you're just not listening to me at all, right? Right? And I know I listen to you. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, it, it's not so bad. Well, what do you think? I'm overreacting? Is that what you're saying, <laughs> yeah. right? And then you, you're, in, you're in that pattern. Mm -hmm. We've, so, um, there's no doubt that there were periods, there were episodes um, where she was questioning whether the life that I had charted for us was compatible with what she wanted out of life. You know, she, you know, Michelle once told me something that uh, I think summed it up pretty well. She said, I have organized my life not to have a lot of mess in my life. And politics, by definition, brings mess into our household. Mm -hmm. 
you've got people that I would never associate with otherwise who now suddenly are talking about us or, you know, have impact on our well-being. And I don't, that's not what I want. And I understood that. And, and the sacrifice she made uh, is one that, you know, I've had to work off. You know, the like I've I, I've been my debt has been. <laughs> you still paying that tab off? It's It's almost like a payday loan. You know, it just keeps on. <laughs> the interest was high. How did y'all get over it? Was it therapy? Was it friends? Was it reverence? Was it church? Was it prayer? Was it when the terms were over? <laughs> well, I think uh, all of the above. I, yeah, Michelle talked right writes about the fact that uh, you know we went to counseling pre presidency, uh, and that was when the kids were small. And I think anybody who's had small kids, you know, that's always a strain. You know, as much joy as they bring, there is that tension, especially if both uh, uh, spouses are working. Right. Um, and during the White House, look, I give a lot of credit to my mother-in-law because, you know, uh, Ms. Marion, you know, she would, Michelle would be hot, you know, she'd go upstairs, uh, my mother-in-law was living on the in, in the uh, suite in, on the third floor, and Michelle would go up there, and I'm pretty sure she talked Michelle down a couple times. Right. Um, friends, one thing we Michelle and I both tell younger uh, couples, you know, who who are going through rough patches. Um, I think we were pretty good about the fact that even when things were tough we never lost basic respect for the other person. We never thought that that person was a bad person. We never said things that would make it seem as if, oh, you just completely disrespect me. It was more, look, I, I love you, Barack, but you know, this is driving me crazy. Or, hun, you, you know how much I respect you, but. It, so, so I think that is part of what kept us uh, uh, able to, to sort this out because we never doubted each other's intentions and, and our, the, the, the basic fact that, you know, my view of Michelle is, you know, she is a remarkable woman. Uh, even, you know, if she drives me crazy sometimes, I never thought that there was anybody who I would rather be with. You know, being that you're so even-killed, right? right, did you ever take your frustrations from work home and did no. you ever do anything like punch a wall or what did you do when you got mad? You know, I, uh, I had, there were times where I would have a potty mouth in the Oval Office, but. Uh, we heard some of that in this yeah, book. We heard it. <laughs> we heard some of that in Which book. I appreciate. Because, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think, it's, I think it's important to be honest because part of what I, I uh, try to describe in the book is the White House, it, you know, and the presidency Look, you're, you're the leader of the free world. It's the most powerful office on earth. But it's also a job. And the West Wing is also an office. And you're going to have some of the same frustrations and mistakes and doubts and uh, mishaps as in any office, in any job. Which also means sometimes you're going to cuss a little bit because <laughs> stuff's frustrating. Um, working out was important. You know, we get get the, those workouts in. Sometimes, uh, you know, a dear friend of ours who, who was also a trainer, uh, Cornell McClellan, we'd uh, uh, 
he would get the boxing gloves out and didn't seem too fun. There's a lot of older people in the White House. Like you can't just say, let's play a pickup game. Those guys will, will pass out. You, you know, now, I had my weekend <laughs> game, though, with Reggie Love. Right. Who, you know, and Reggie at that time was, you know, probably he just turned 30. He wasn't posting up Joe Biden. And so, no, we, we, could, we, couldn't, play in, we couldn't play in the White House. We had, our, <laughs> we had our regular game. Reggie had his crew. And so we, we had regular basketball games. Um, you know, a lot of times, though, you know, you would just uh, try to take the long view in dealing with frustrations. If, if Mitch McConnell and the Republicans were blocking something for no reason, if they were playing games uh, uh, that actually had real consequences in terms of people being able to get health care or be able to get some relief uh, uh, from unemployment or what have you, you know, you just had to uh, remind yourself that you were in uh, a long-term contest and and there were going to be ups and downs at any given time but uh, that if you kept your eye on the ball uh, that you you know sooner or later you could prevail you know in the, in the yes we can chapter you discuss how you were frustrated with the constant need to soften for white folks benefit the blunt truths about race in this country do you, you still feel the need to do that after the last four years we witnessed well i think we're all a little bit more um open and aware. And one of the things that I was really uh, inspired by in the wake of tragedy was the response after George Floyd's murder. Um, because what you saw was not only people of all walks of life out there protesting, it wasn't just black folks. But when you looked at the polling, you actually saw that by a significant number, many more white Americans were willing to acknowledge problems in the criminal justice system based on race. And, why why and, do we have to wait on them, though? Well, speak, to speak our truth to power. You know, what this comes down to is how do you build coalitions to actually get stuff done? Because the truth of the matter is, is that in very few places are African Americans a majority of the vote. Uh, you know, it's just simple math, right? So in, in right where we're sitting right now in Washington, D.C., uh, that would be the case. But there are not uh, a lot of states and there are a handful of cities where just the black vote delivers the power then to actually bring about concrete change. Now we have more with Barack Obama. President Barack Obama, when we come back, it's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. We're getting on our interview with Barack Obama on this Martin Luther King Day. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. I, th I think people um, want to know, like, what did you do specifically for black people? Not the rising tide lifts all boats types of rhetoric, because we all know black people's boat got a hole in it. So the systemic things that were done to black people to put us in these positions, we need specific systemic things to get us out. So well, but, what, but what, what did I'm, you do what, 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 what I'm saying, Charlamagne, is black poverty dropped faster than everybody else. Black incomes went up more than a lot of other folks. So, you know, the issue is sometimes we just didn't go around advertising that because once again, the goal here is to build coalitions where everybody is getting something so that they all feel like they've got a stake in it. Um, but a lot of my policies were targeted towards people most in need 
those folks are disproportionately African-American. Now, there are some things that, for example, us having uh, a civil rights division in the Justice Department that actually took seriously civil rights and imposed consent decrees on places like Ferguson and you know, changed sentencing guidelines so that we didn't max out on sentencing for all nonviolent drug offenses, but changed the incentives so that prosecutors were judged not by how long of a sentence you got, but did you get a proportional sentence? Was it a fair sentence? So those kinds of changes that we made, that's why I say there's a reason why the federal prison population dropped. Mm-hmm. By the way, at the same time, the crime also dropped, right? So we were able to show that you can have a smart strategy in terms of reducing crime without expanding incarceration. But the, tr- the, the truth of the matter is, Charlemagne, at, at, at the end of the day, there is no way in eight years to make up for 200 years. Absolutely. And the question is constantly, how are you going to, you know, the way I, I've been describing it, because it, it's very much how I, I understand the presidency now, you're like a relay runner. You know, you're getting the baton from somebody else and all you can do is run your stage of the race. And then you pass it on to the next person. And on either side, uh, both who you got the hit from and who you're passing it to, um, they may not have the same priorities that you do. Uh, you know, you're, you know that you're not going to get everything done that you need to get done. But what you got to do is is do your best to get as much done as possible. And I think that's what we did. Would you say that your intention with this book was to explain to people also how difficult it was for you to get things passed and for people to see what you did do? Because like you said in the book, a lot of times it's not your policies and what you do, it's more what you say and the feeling that people have and that's what they pay attention to. So absolutely. Look, let's take something like the, you know, the the Recovery Act. So I, I walk in the day I walk in, we're losing 800,000 jobs a month. The economy is actually contracting faster than it did during the Great Depression. And six months later, the economy was growing again, and we had kind of stopped the freefall. But if you're somebody who had lost your job at that point or had lost your house, you're not feeling good. And we couldn't go around saying, look what a, you know, patting ourselves on the back saying, look at what a great job we did because people are still hurting out there. I hope if somebody reads this, they come to recognize if we want to bring about systemic change, there are a whole bunch of different pressure points that we have to apply. It's not just the presidency. So I write extensively about the fact that I have a lot of power as president. I'm the most powerful person as president, but I still need a Congress. I still need to make sure that we have a majority in the House of Representatives, because if I don't, I can't get any a single law passed. If I want to change something on criminal justice reform, it turns out that the federal government isn't actually in charge of most criminal law. Most criminal laws made at the state level and determined by state prosecutors. Most police departments, the federal government has nothing to do with. That's determined by the mayor in that city. Whether they're prosecuted when they do something wrong that's up to the 
state's attorney or district attorney in that area. So when we think about politics, it is a mistake for us to say, okay, once I'm, I voted for president, I'm done. And I hope people don't repeat that mistake with Biden and Kamala Harris. Right now, we've got two seats in Georgia coming up. If the Republicans win those two seats, then Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will not be able to get any law passed that Mitch McConnell and the Republicans aren't willing to go along with. Well, you got to do a better job of letting people know, hey, I wanted to do a lot more for people, especially black people, but I couldn't because Mitch McConnell was blocking me every chance he got. Well, that's why I wrote the book. That's I why. Know, I wrote but it. everybody, everybody ain't gonna read. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, like, you know, well, you know. But, I believe they see all that, these interviews. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that's why I got you, man. Come on, I hear some people listen to you. And since you're talking to, about Georgia, where Warnock, I see they're giving him issues about his alliance with Jeremiah Wright. It's the same you, kind of stuff. Would that's you tell what, him he should uh, step back and denounce him at this point? No. Look, first of all. It is a losing game at this stage to just go chasing crazy commentary. Uh, you know, there's some things you have to answer uh, aggressively, but you can't obsess over it. Reverend Warnock is, is doing a great job. If I'm him, I'm going to be emphasizing what am I positively going to do on behalf of the people of Georgia that, that, uh, as opposed to just trying to play defense against a bunch of uh, crazy stuff that's coming out there. But, but listen, it's hard winning in Georgia, just like it's hard winning in Iowa, just like it's hard winning in a lot of the country. And, and one thing I think that I hope the book also reminds us of, you know, those of us who live in D.C. or New York or L.A., you know, sometimes we do not have a a uh, a good enough sense of how big this country is, and how a lot of folks do not accept at all things that we, who are living in urban metropolitan areas, just take for granted. I'm from South Carolina. I know. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, you go. There are big chunks of the country, even in our own communities, right? I mean, so so I deeply believe that people should be treated equally under the law, regardless of sexual orientation. I was but, shocked you talked about that in the book. But we all, you know, I, I mean, I, I think there are big chunks of our community where that's still controversial. Um, people were surprised about uh, a lot of Hispanic folks who voted for Trump. But there are a lot of evangelical Hispanics who, you know, the fact that Trump says racist things about Mexicans or puts uh, detainees, uh, you know, uh, uh, undocumented workers in cages, they think that's less important than the fact that, you know, he uh, supports their views on, you know, gay marriage or abortion, right? It's hard to believe when you say this, but then you look at the way the government is ran, right? You, you, you talk about for instance, you look at these big businesses and, and you look at their taxes and they don't pay taxes at all. Right. And then you look at somebody who is just getting by paying as much tax as possible. And you look at, for instance, the pandemic task force that you created. And right. then you see Trump come in office and he shuts that down. And then you think to yourself, damn, if that task force was still around, would so many people have been dead, been killed? Would we, we be able to save lives? We would have saved some lives. I, here, here's one simple statistic. Canada... Right, right next door. Mm -hmm. 
their death rate is 40% of what ours is per capita. I don't, you know, so for every, you know, 100 Americans that have died, only 40 Canadians have died. And that's just a matter of their government making better decisions. So the, the question, though, is, is that you still had 70 million people voting for a government that uh, I would say objectively has failed miserably in handling just basic looking after the American people and keeping them safe. Why is that? Well, part of it is because, uh, you know, it turns out politics is not just about policy. It's not just about numbers. It's about the stories that are, that are being told. And the story that they're hearing from Fox News and Rush Limbaugh and, you know, uh, in some cases inside their churches is that, you know, Democrats don't believe in Christmas and, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, only care about minorities and black folks and are trying to take your stuff and trying to take your guns away. And, right, there's a whole story that's being told to them. Oh, and, and people end up feeling as if, you know what, we are under attack. That, you know, what's always interesting to me is the degree to which um, we've created, you've, you've seen created in Republican politics, this sense that you know, white males are victims. Like they're, they're the ones who are like under attack, which obviously doesn't jibe with both history and data and economics. But that's a sincere belief. You know, that's been internalized. That's a story that's being told. And, and how you unwind that is going to be not something that, that is done right away. It's going to take some time. Now we have more with Barack Obama. President Barack Obama, when we come back, it's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. Let's get into our interview with President Barack Obama. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. Well, we heard some rumors in this book, too. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. How, how different? Because, you know, when I hear that, I'm like, damn, it feels like we're catering to white racists all the time. So I wonder how different would the Dem strategy be if we lived in a one-man, one-vote society with no electoral college? Oh, I think that would help. Let's take a simple example like the Senate. So Wyoming, which has about half a million people, has the same number of senators as California with 33 million people, right? Mm -hmm. So what that means is, is that the U.S. Senate is hugely skewed towards some of these lower population, uh, you know, more rural, much wider states than the big coastal states. And that's a, that's a big difference in terms of getting stuff done. Um, so so the, the, the bottom line is, is that uh, you know, our democracy is imperfect. Changing that is going to take a lot of effort because you gotta get over the hump, even, even just to secure our voting rights. You know, one of the things that um, you know, is still at stake in Georgia is if we controlled the Senate, then it is at least theoretically possible to pass a voting rights bill that stops some of this voter suppression and intimidation that you're still seeing around the country uh, and that Republicans 
have been pretty blatant about just saying, look, we, we just, we're trying to prevent them from voting. But getting to the electoral college, getting to the way that the, the U.S. Senate is skewed, that would require us also potentially admitting Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico in as states so that, you know, which has its own politics. Um, you know, it would, it would mean you know, uh, having states change how they do their electoral counts. Um, I think the Constitution is outdated. Well, yeah, three-fifths, they got to get rid of that language. <laughs> the, the way that as diverse the country is, those yes. people weren't at the table. When they wrote the Constitution, you're no. a constitutional lawyer. You got we got to get no, to change that. Well, there there is a way to change it. It's mm -hmm. called amending the Constitution. The problem is that in order to do that, we have to have such an increase in awareness and activism. So there's a mechanism to to amend the Constitution, but you just have to get everybody involved and focused in it. And this is part of the reason. You know, I, folks have been teasing me about how, you know, man, that's a long book. And, you know, you, <laughs> Michelle's was so much shorter. And, mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> you know, uh, there were times where I was tempted to, you know, let me just leave out this explanation or that explanation because folks, you know, they, they, they're not going to necessarily want to uh, read all that. But part of what I wanted to do was just say, man, this is the stuff that we've got to know if we really want to change stuff. Like, you have to know about the filibuster in the Senate, right? So this is a rule that wasn't even in the Constitution. This is just a rule that the Senate adopted that says you have to have 60 votes to pass legislation. You have to have a supermajority. That even more empowers those little states, right? Because now they don't even need, they don't even need 50 uh, Senate votes. They just need uh, 41 to basically block anything from getting through the Senate. That's what happened to me in my first two years was I was having to get to 60 votes on everything, which meant that the number of senators that were basically representing 25% of the country had a veto power over anything we wanted to try to get done. But most people don't know that. I, you know, if, if, if you try to explain to the average, uh, you know, brother in the barbershop, Man, that filibuster, you know, that's something. I, don't know. I, just, I just thought it when people talk for a long time. Yeah, well, but... <laughs> I learned about it in the book. Right? Well, exactly. Book, yeah. But that thing is, which, by the way, had its roots. You know, the thing that it was most used for was to block civil rights legislation and, and anti-lynching legislation. And, and that thing is still operating. We have to know how that stuff works in order for us if we really want the kind of changes you're talking about, where uh, taking away some of these barriers to everybody having their voice heard in government. Well, President Obama has to go, guys. So right. we're we glad you cleared Thank up some you rumors, so much. though. And listen, congratulations. 890,000 sold on the first day, which is breaking yes. all kinds of records. So it just shows the power that you still have. You, over got, a little, you got a little name out here. First of all, I think it's because it was packaged with Michelle's book. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and... Uh, uh, but I appreciate you guys. You, you know, you talked about uh, black folks and and how they talked about or thought about my presidency. I will say, even at our lowest point, the amount of, of loyalty and folks having our back, knowing, you know, that we were going through some, you know, challenges, 
um, the prayer that we got, the uh, you know the blessings we we received from our own. Um, that that is as much as anything what helped uh, sustain us. It, it is something we never took for granted and we were always grateful. So, so, so what, one, one last question. What do Democrats owe black people specifically, do you think? Especially well, after what we just did in this past election. Well, I, look, I, I think that Democrats and Republicans and America uh, owe black folks the same thing that all people are owed, which is justice and fairness. The difference is, is that for black folks, that justice has been deferred and denied for too long, or it's been half-baked and insufficient. We've never done a full reckoning of of what uh, was part of the essential history and building of this country. And um, I think in in concrete terms, you know, I don't want to overstate what Joe and Kamala are going to be able to accomplish in this congressional environment with that much resistance, because they're going to be in a position that was even that's probably even tougher than the one that I came in. But what I can say is, I think at the very minimum, everything they put forward, from jobs programs to small business loans to education to college debt issues, that they have to be mindful that the African-American community put faith in them to, to hear them and to understand what ordinary folks are going through every day, working hard, trying to make it, and that, and that they shouldn't be making a decision without knowing, all right, this is going to have an impact uh, on, on, uh, on some of those struggles to make make people and and their families uh, a little more secure, a little bit better. It's not going to make things perfect, but if if uh, at the end of, of Joe Biden's presidency and Kamala's presidency, he too can say what I was able to say, which is people's lives are better. Mm. You know, at the end of the day, that's what you expect out of politicians. Is there a morally correct way to do what Trump did, which is as far as like you know, catering to his base. You know, doing what he felt was best for his his folks. Is there a morally correct way to do that? Get more votes. I mean, the truth of the matter is actually Trump hasn't gotten a lot. He's torn some stuff down. He hasn't. There's no law that he's passed that is transformative in this country. He t- he passed a tax cut to give away some more money to to rich folks, which Republicans have been doing that for years. But you 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 can't name a piece of legislation that he's done that has actually changed the country, even for his own constituencies. So it's always easier to tear down than build up. Building up, that requires votes. And and that's why I do not, I will come on this show every time if I hear folks say voting doesn't matter. Yeah, voting will not, it's not like winning the lottery. You don't, you don't vote and then suddenly everything's great. Voting is more like, you know, washing your car or ironing your clothes. It's part of the thing you do to make stuff work. And, and it's part of your responsibility uh, and it's part of all of our responsibility just to 
make sure that we don't see chaos of the sort that we've just seen over the last four years. All right, guys. Well, we appreciate you for joining us. President Barack Obama, thank you. I enjoyed yes, it. Yes, sir. Yeah, thank you, you so much. Thank appreciate you so much. You look happy and relaxed now. I, you know, I feel pretty good. <laughs> All right. Well, make sure you tell them to watch out for Florida, man. Florida, man. Florida. The craziest people in America come from the Bronx and all of Florida. Yes, you are a donkey. A Florida man attacked an ATM for a very strange reason. It gave him too much money. Florida man is arrested after deputies say he rigged the door to his home in an attempt to electrocute his pregnant wife. Police arrested an Orlando man for attacking a flamingo. The Breakfast Club, bitch. <laughs> donkey of the day. <laughs> Charlemagne the guy. I don't know why y'all keep letting him get y'all like this. Well, Duval, because your state is crazy. All right, donkey of the day goes to a Florida woman named Vanessa Marie Huckaba. Now, what does your Uncle Charlotte always say about the great state of Florida? The craziest people in America come from the Bronx and all of Florida. There is no disputing that. And um, I thank God that I came up in an era before dating websites, uh, not knocking anyone who does it, but I couldn't see myself on Elite Singles, eHarmony, Black People Meet. Match.com. Our guy, Dramos, who's Puerto Rican and runs our boards up here. He's on Latin Fields under the username Coquito Poppy. That's not true. Look him up. Okay. <laughs> That's not true. But you can get me in trouble at home. But thank you know, you. none of that stuff is for me. Uh, the way my anxiety is set up, I couldn't just meet a complete stranger online, a person who can tell me anything they want about themselves, and none of it be true. And then you show up, get robbed, killed, catfished. I'm not judging anybody who does the dating singles thing. I'm just simply saying it's not for me. It's like skydiving. It's like bungee jumping. It's like being uncircumcised, not knocking any of y'all that, that do it. I got those things just telling you that's not my thing. Now, Vanessa Marie Huckaba has a dating profile set up under the name Island Babe 1234. Does that name not look and sound fake? Okay, see what I'm saying? Island Babe 1234. How could you take a profile page on a dating website serious that says Island Babe 1234? It sounds and looks like a Russian bot when you see it. Now, according to the Miami Herald, she included a name. Photo, cell phone number, and address. But here's the catch. Well, actually, it is no catch. This dating profile is exactly what it sounds like. Fake. But I tell you what, this one is fake <laughs> for a great, humorous, but sick cause. Okay, see, Vanessa, she should actually be the new host of Punked. I don't condone what I'm about to tell you she did, but man, is it entertaining to watch. See, Vanessa is a classic case of the ex. Oh, a lot of y'all out there got a crazy ex that's stalking your ass right now that is upset that you have moved on to another relationship. Vanessa is one of those. Okay, see this dating profile she set up that included a name, photo, cell phone number, and address? It wasn't hers. In fact, it was the woman her ex-boyfriend is currently dating. But the story gets much, much better because it wasn't her milkshake that brought all the boys to the yard. No, not in Florida. In Florida, you need something a little stronger than milkshakes to bring boys <laughs> to the yard. Let's go to the Miami Herald for the report, please. A Florida Keys woman was jailed on a cyberstalking charge after police said she posted a fake profile on a dating site that sent strangers to another woman's home looking for sex. Fresh meth tonight. The All right, stop, stop, stop right there for a second. What? Stop right there for a second because there are <laughs> conflicting reports. The Miami Herald is saying Vanessa posted the headline, free meth tonight. Wow. But in the news report we just heard, they say fresh meth tonight. Either way, Island Bay 1234 got meth. That's right, speed, cookies, cotton candy, whatever you call it. Vanessa had cranking cheeks. And in Florida, it doesn't matter if you're advertising fresh cranking free cheeks or free cranking fresh cheeks. Folks is pulling up, even though I don't know, you know, how fresh you expect the cheeks to be from a meth head in Florida. I mean, it's hot down there, and that pookie will have you not washing for days. But forget all that. <laughs> Continue with the news report.
Vanessa Marie Huckaba, 29, was arrested November 21st on misdemeanor charges of cyberstalking and harassing. Huckaba in October and November sent threatening messages and made harassing phone calls to a 36-year-old Key West woman who was dating her ex. The victim told police she has never met Huckaba and began getting the threats after she started dating a man Huckaba had dated for six months. Huckaba told the victim she would need to get a restraining order. Huckaba's next move was to put up a profile under the name Island Babe 1234 on Seeking Arrangement, which advertises it helps pair women with sugar daddies, <laughs> along with the victim's photo, cell phone number and address. The profile invited men to come to the victim's home for sex. Multiple strangers began arriving at the victim's you residence think? thereafter. I'm giving this woman donkey of the day. Vanessa, you're getting donkey of the day because you absolutely deserve it. Okay, a person's home is their sanctuary. It's their castle. It should be their place of peace. To have a bunch of Floridians pulling up during a devil damn pandemic when folks are supposed to be social distancing. You got all these meth heads showing up to this young woman's house looking for cranking cheeks. You're lucky that woman didn't stand her ground and let her goddamn gun blam, okay? So you are earning every bit of this hee-haw. But... Round of applause, Vanessa. Amazing, amazing idea. <laughs> All right. This is an amazing idea. You got beef with another human. You mad at this lady because she's dating your ex-boyfriend. So you advertise free meth and sex at her house in Florida. There is nothing that can bring holiday joy to a white Florida man's heart like the <laughs> thought of tweaking and tricking. Okay? Only a human with a Florida brain could concoct and execute something like this. And Vanessa, even though I am highly entertained, it will not stop me from giving you the sweet sounds of the Hamiltons. Oh, now you are the donkey of the day. You are the donkey of the day. Yes! That's too easy. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I mean, would you like to just for... Yeah, sure. Pieces and giggles. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, let's play a game of Guess What Race It Is! All right, guys. Vanessa Marie Huckaba. Huckaba. Okay. She's from Florida. Florida. She set up a fake profile mm -hmm. for a woman. Okay, a woman that was dating her ex-boyfriend and she was advertising free meth and sex. Guess what, what race she is? You go first, she. I'll have to say Caucasian just because of the crystal meth. Okay. I was thinking Latino because... No, you weren't. No, I was thinking white. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got to say what it is? Yes. White people. I knew it. I knew it. White people. All right. White with yellow teeth. All right. You see her mugshot. <laughs> okay? White with the yellowest teeth you've ever seen in your goddamn life. All right? You'll All see right. her smile and you slow down when you approach that. Okay? If you was driving. All right, Charlemagne, thank you for that donkey today. Yes, indeed, goddammit. We're playing some of the best best ofs, and one of them was when Kamala Harris stopped through. The first interview that she actually came before she was running for president. That's and right, this was, um, this was 2018. Mm. Or maybe 2017, I don't remember. 2017 or 2018. And like, just, she was just Senator of California. Right. You know what I mean? And we actually talked about her running for president. And, um, you know, she ran. It didn't work out, but she ended up being the Madam Vice President. So, yeah. Okay. So we're going to get that back in a few, so don't move. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. Your mornings will never be the same. Hiring is challenging, but... Back, back, back. Your 
checking out the world's most dangerous morning show. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne Tha God. We are the Breakfast Club. Now, uh, it's Martin Luther King Day, and we're going to get back our interview with Kamala Harris. This was the first time that she actually stopped through, so we're going to get that on. It's the Breakfast Club. And, 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 and by the way, haven't been back since. <laughs> I mean, she's been here three times. Right. Kamala came here in 2018. She came here um, again when she was running for president. And another time when she was running for president, she hasn't been here since she's been Madam Vice President. Right. Starting to get pissed off about that, okay? But salute to Senator Kamala Harris. Hopefully we'll, we'll talk to you soon. All right, don't move. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. We have a special guest in the building. Yes. She went to the other HU. <laughs> I know the, you Hampton. She went to the other HU, <laughs> the fake HU, but we let her slide this morning. Uh, Kamala Harris. Yes, US, U.S. Senator of California, That's and right. I feel the next president of the United States of America if Coded she chooses to run. Miss Kamala, Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris. Good Welcome morning. to the show. Good, Good morning. morning. I am so happy and honored to be here. Now, you Join gonna, you. You're going to let them diss Howard like that? Absolutely not. So who? Uh, who beat UNLV? Hampton or Howard? It was Howard. Thank you. <laughs> Who has the best homecoming in the world every year? Hampton. Howard. Hampton. Who produced Thurgood Marshall? Howard. Howard. Right. <laughs> yeah, you, you got a couple of all right Who, who produced there. the Black Panther? We we did the you know we, we did the costumes you know the, the, you know we did the costumes uh -huh. for, for I'll Black Panther. I'll share the love though. with you. I'm gonna share the love. With you. Uh -huh. <laughs> See, I didn't go to college, but if I was you, I would have said, "Well, who was stealing from the financial aid department?" <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. Well, who was stealing from the financial aid department? So she came back with, "Well, y'all got bad food over there." They go back and forth. They just let things slide. Well, welcome. Yes, Thank welcome, you. Senator Good to Harris. Be here. Now, for those who may not know, let us know a little uh, about yourself. You're from the Bay Area, right? I'm, I was born in Oakland. Okay. Um, and I went to Howard. Mm -hmm. I, I went out of uh, Howard to law school in California. I started my career in the DA's office in Oakland, California. Mm -hmm. And um, then I was elected the first black woman to be elected a district attorney in the state of California, wow. San Francisco. I was there for two terms. And then I was elected attorney general of California, making me the first woman and the first African-American ever elected as an attorney general. And what wow. was she Jamaican, too? Yeah, man. Wagwan, <laughs> Brad Grant. <laughs> so, did you grow up in the era of the Black Panthers? Yes. Did, uh -huh. they, did they have any influence on you? Or? Oh, absolutely. I mean, my parents, look, my sister and I joke, we grew up surrounded by a bunch of adults who spent full time marching and shouting. Wow. For justice, right? So they, my parents actually met when they were active in the civil rights movement. My godmother, my Aunt Mary, was one of the founders of the Black Studies Department at San Francisco State, which was the first Black Studies Department in the country. Mm -hmm. So they were active and they were vocal. And um, Jamaican and, it, and civil rights activists. I'm surprised you got an inside voice. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I, 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 Howard trains you to do things okay. like that. But <laughs> well, what got you into politics? Because you did go to Howard. That's a party school, yeah. so we figured you would. Y'all just joking. Y'all not gonna be petty all interview right, now. I'm not. I'm not. Stop. But really, what got you into politics? What made you want to say this is the route I want to go? You know, I grew up in a community of folks, like I said, who are marching and shouting. And I said, you know, we yes, there is an important role to be, play on the outside, banging down the door, on bended knee, trying to change the systems. But we also have to be inside the room where the decisions are being made. Mm -hmm. And I ran for district attorney because I wanted to be the one who was making decisions about what we were going to do with criminal justice policy. And in fact, I wrote a book back in 2008 based on my belief about what we need to do to reform the criminal justice system. And, mm -hmm. and here's how I think about it. Criminal justice policy, we have been offered a false choice. The choice suggesting that you're either soft on crime 
or you're tough on crime mm-hmm. instead of asking, are we smart on crime? Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, recognizing that, you know, the public health model tells us if you want to deal with a health epidemic, smartest, most effective and cheapest way to deal with it is prevention first. Mm. If you're dealing with it in the emergency room or the prison system, it's too late and it's too expensive. So let's be smart on crime. And that means let's be smart in knowing that if we really want to have public safety, let's prevent crime from happening in the first place, which means focusing on communities that we know need more economic support, need more pathways to economic health and success, doing what we need to do to recognize that there's a direct connection between public education and public safety. So let's prioritize public education and and instead of just being only concerned about public safety because there's a real connection and it's actually cheaper to focus on educating young people than it is on incarcerating mm-hmm. whole communities of people. Yeah, that's that's one of the first things I saw you do that I was extremely impressed with. It was the uh, the Back on Track program. Yeah, that's right. What, 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 what's that all about? So Back on Track is a program that I started years ago. I focused on the 18 through 24-year-old young, you know, drug sales offender. Mm-hmm. And the reason I focused on that population is because there are just a lot of them. And I also focused on that population because whether we were at Hampton or Howard, mm-hmm. when we were in college, we were 18 through 24, and we were called college kids right mm. but when you turn 18 and you're in the system you're considered an, an adult. adult right period mm-hmm. regardless of the fact that we know if that's the very phase of life in which we have invested billions of dollars in this world in these places called colleges and universities knowing that that's the prime phase of life where you can mold somebody to be a productive and a, and a, and a, a, an accomplished adult and so I focused on that population also understanding that when they pick up that first offense, they will be designated a felon for life. Mm. And so what we did is essentially I created a program focused on them and basically getting them job counseling. A lot of the young men are fathers, getting them support for what they naturally want to do, which is parent their children, but may not have the skills or the resources. We focused on what to do around housing and and just wraparound. And we ended up as a result of doing that. And then when they would graduate, the program dismissed their charges. But what we also ended up doing is reducing their likelihood of reoffending mm. by a huge percentage. And that was a model of what ended up later by the Justice Department being designated as a model of, of innovation in law enforcement in the country. Well, what do we do with, with so many, with drugs being legalized, I should say marijuana being legalized in so yeah. many different states? And a lot of these kids, like you said, are in jail for that same legalized crime now. We need to decriminalize marijuana. Mm-hmm. We have a problem with mass incarceration in our country. And let's be clear, the war on drugs was a failed mm-hmm. war. It, it was misdirected. In essence, and you know, we're now, now more people are understanding it when we talk about the opioid epidemic, mm-hmm. that when you're talking about substance abuse, that's a public health matter. Mm-hmm. That should not be thought of as a criminal justice matter. And, and so what we need to do is recognize that we have to get people into treatment where that is appropriate. But as it relates to incarcerating people for marijuana, I think it, 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 it is long overdue that we recognize we need to change the system. Absolutely. All right. I want to go back to your Oakland days for a minute because you said uh-huh. the Black Panthers had an influence on you. Yeah. And it's this whole conversation we've been having about how do we improve relations between police and the communities. And yeah. Black Panthers were an organization that actually policed the police. Do you think that an, an organization like that could exist now in 2018? I think that one of the greatest advances in the fight for civil rights has been the smartphone. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. 
people would come up to me, Kamala, what all of a sudden is going on with all these cases of, of police misconduct? What's going on? Mm-hmm. And I'd look at people and I'd say, you know, you sound like a colonist. You know, colonist. <laughs> Are you calling him a colonizer? No, or a colonist? No, a colonist. <laughs> right, 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 right. Fair enough. <laughs> but the point being, you know, what colonists do, they go to a place that's been existing that way for thousands of years and because they're seeing it for the first time, they think they've discovered Absolutely. it. Absolutely. So the great thing about the smartphone has been that now it is undeniable when it happens. There is evidence, sometimes playing for us in real time, as we know. It is audio, it is visual, and it is highlighting a need to reform the criminal justice system about around recognizing that we need to do a better job of training police officers around mm-hmm. bias, around use of force, mm-hmm. around the necessity to de-escalate a situation instead of using force as the first option, um, as though it is the only option. And more people are now involved in this discussion than ever before because it is not just us who is experiencing it. Now everyone is experiencing it, at least as in terms of seeing it happen. And I think this is the this is part of what has, has led to the reforms that are starting to take place, but there's still a lot more to do. On the Panthers, remember, one of the biggest uh, contributions that the Panthers made was their breakfast program. Absolutely. They were feeding the community mm-hmm. um, and protecting the community mm-hmm. in that way. All right, we have more with Senator Kamala Harris. When we come back, don't move. It's the Breakfast Club. Good morning. Morning, everybody. It's DJ NV Angela Yee, Charlamagne Tha God. We are the Breakfast Club. We have Kamala Harris in the building. Now, let's talk about these schools and these shootings. I mean, it's scary. Well, first of all, you know, we have many, many communities where our six and seven year olds are going to sleep at night hearing gunfire. Absolutely. They are experiencing they, such trauma that is undiagnosed and untreated. Mm-hmm. Babies of our community who have regularly attended funerals of somebody who was killed as a result of gun violence, having family members. It may have even happened in front of them. Mm-hmm. So we have enough trauma in our community that we need to deal with without expecting that our second grader is going to now go to school and look up in the front of the class at their teacher and she's strapping a gun. Or, mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about school safety, there are things that we need to address that include thinking about why is this an issue. And part of it is that we have not passed meaningful, smart gun safety laws in this country. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about how the NRA has grabbed people by their parts of their body. The testicles. There's a medical way to say it. It's a medical term. Testicles. Testicles. And 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 has has caused people to have a lack of courage to address the fact, again, another false choice. I'm in favor of the Second Amendment, and I also want I want smart gun safety laws. Absolutely. Assault weapons shouldn't be walking the streets of a civilized country. I agree. Mm-hmm. We should have universal background checks. It makes sense. It's just practical that you might want to know before someone can buy a gun that they've been found by a court to be mentally unstable. Mm-hmm. You just might want to know that. That's smart. Absolutely. The missing ingredient to get something done is for Congress to have the courage to act. Mm-hmm. Bottom line. And that's where I would say, okay, so then what can we as people who want to encourage Congress to act do? What can we do? Let's focus on the 2018 elections. Mm. Let's focus on electing people who will have the courage mm-hmm. 
and getting rid of people who don't. Well, you know, even with that said, you know, uh, when when we everybody saw the police shootings happening, Barack Obama was in office. Mm-hmm. Why didn't he have the courage to act to implement something to where police yeah. weren't so gun ho? Well, I think that he, it's one of his big regrets that he was not able to get um, smart gun safety laws passed. In terms of the reforms, listen, Eric Holder, who was appointed by Barack Obama to be the U.S. Attorney General. Mm-hmm. And, he, and and the United States Department of Justice under Barack Obama did some really good work. They started opening pattern and practice investigations, investigating various police departments around the country who had a pattern and practice of racial discrimination and excessive force. And you know what's going on now? Under this guy? Jeff Sessions. You've been on his ass, by the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And under him, they're closing those pattern and practice investigations. Under the previous administration, there were consent decrees Mm -hmm. where there had been a finding of misconduct. The court kicked in and said, you have to act a certain way, and we're going to watch that. They're shutting down all of those. Mm -hmm. They're reviving the war on drugs. They're reviving mandatory minimum sentences. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, that's why we have got to be vigilant at this moment in time because we are looking at, at an administration that is rolling back the clock in a profound profound way. Why is Jeff Sessions doing that, though? Like, is, is, it, is it really just uh, Donald Trump trying to erase everything Barack Obama did, or is that what they really, really want? Like, they want to take take us backwards, so to speak. Listen, I think this has been on Jeff Sessions' agenda for a very long time. Don't forget, Coretta Scott King spoke out against Jeff Sessions mm-hmm. when he was up years and years and years ago mm-hmm. for an appointment. This is part of who he is. This is his history. This is his mission. He is silently and maybe not so silently carrying it out right before us. Why aren't you afraid to uh, to speak out against him? <laughs> I do speak no, out against him. No, that's not me. I'm, I'm, I'm worried they're wrong. Why aren't you afraid? Because we have to speak truth. Got you. Charlamagne, we have to speak truth. You Absolutely. know what? This is a moment in time that's actually requiring all of us to check ourselves about whether we're going to have the courage mm-hmm. to to speak and to speak truth, no matter how uncomfortable it makes some people feel, no matter how much it may visit upon us criticism or expose us to attacks, um, we've got to speak truth. We've got to speak truth about what is happening with this administration. Also, because as leaders, the people know, they know, they know in their hearts, they know intuitively, instinctively that things are wrong. And we need to put the label on it when we see what it's actually happening from the inside. And so that's part of why I do it. Because I believe that people have a right to know mm-hmm. what their government is doing for them and to them. And, you know, come what may in terms of any response. How do we get our country back in order, though? It just seems like ever since Trump came in office, it just seems like it's just been an outspread of racism going on. And it, it yeah. seems like it's hurting our kids more than anything else out there. So I travel around the country, um, and I will tell you that I'm not buying the suggestion that we are divided as a country. Mm -hmm. And here's why I say that. You know, when you wake up in the middle of the night with that thought that's been weighing on you, maybe, you know, some people call it the witching hour, 3 o'clock in the morning, when you Mm -hmm. wake up in a cold sweat with that thing that's been worrying you, it is never through the lens of the party with which you're registered to vote or you know, the demographic a pollster put you in. And for the vast majority of us, that thought has to do with one of just a very few things. Our personal health, the health of our children or our parents, 
Can I get a job? Keep a job? Pay the bills by the end of the month? For so many of our students, can I pay off their student? Can they pay off their student loans? Mm-hmm. The vast majority of us have so much more in common than what separates us, and we've got to hold on to that in this fight right now, and then look to 2018, frankly, and the elections that are coming up in almost 200 days. Mm-hmm as an opportunity to act. What I love about this moment with this administration in power mm-hmm. is people are acting. Look back to the Women's March. Yes. Look into the March for Our Lives. Absolutely. The March for Science. Because yes. also this administration is putting forward policies that basically say science should not be the va- basis of public policy, which is ridiculous. Um, but people are taken to the streets mm-hmm. in a way they never have. And... In that way, our democracy is working. Now we just got to take to the streets and then walk those streets to the polling place and vote. Because they used to say we couldn't vote. Legally, we weren't allowed to vote. Mm-hmm. Now they say we won't. We need to get out and vote. Because voting, us voting is connected to every one of the other issues. Us voting is connected to who's going to be in office and how they think about criminal justice policy. Who's going to be office and pay attention to something like the, the, the rate of black babies and infant mortality? Mm. Who's going to pay attention to the fact that young black men are, are, are still at the bottom of the economic ladder in terms of opportunity, much less success and economic health? Who's in office is going to make a difference. All right, we have more with Senator Kamala Harris. When we come back, don't move. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. Checking out the world's most dangerous morning show. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne Tha God. We are The Breakfast Club. Now, uh, it's Martin Luther King Day, and we're going to get back our interview with Kamala Harris. This was the first time that she actually stopped through. All right, don't move. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. We have Senator Kamala Harris still in the building. Charlamagne? And I know, you, of course, you just mentioned Me Too and Time's Up. You're a big supporter today. Yeah. But you're also a Too Short fan. Yes, I am too short from Oakland. <laughs> yes, I am. How, how does that work? Let me tell you. What's, fact, my, favorite what's my favorite word, <laughs> Senator Harris? Huh? Huh? What's my favorite word, Senator Harris? I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Too short, straight from Oakland. <laughs> but you can, you can, you can, you can like both, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course, I love music. Now they call you the, the the female Barack Obama. That's what I've seen when I Google I don't your like name. That, by the way. Now, now, are you are you considering and do or do you see yourself possibly running for president? Is that in your right now? I'm just focused on what's in front of me. You know, I've seen too many people focus on that thing out there and they trip over the thing right in front of them. True. So, what's in front of you? 2018. 2018. Okay. I'm, I was just in Detroit last weekend, campaigning and talking to folks about the need to get out and vote. Um, I'll be all over this, all over many states. I'm going to be in Chicago. I'm going to be in Wisconsin. I'll be in Florida. Probably go to Philly. We really have to turn out. Look what happened in Alabama. Everybody should really see and remember what happened just in a recent election Mm -hmm. where Doug Jones, a white Democrat, the math is that a white Democrat won in the South because of black women. Mm -hmm. So our vote really matters when we get out. It was over 90% of black men, too. We, we came out just Yeah, and that's concerned. right. And that's right. That's true. That's exactly right. That's you, exactly right. You was on the debate team in college. I was. How, how did, I was. How did that help you in your line of work? First of all, it taught you how to, um, to come back from an argument. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it teaches you how to stand in front of a, a room of people 
and express your point and then and then when the, your point is being attacked to come back and respond um, it teaches you how to think quickly and it gives you confidence in the fact that you can stand in front of a, a room of people and state a position and defend it um, because sometimes for so many of us we're the only one who is like us in a room mm-hmm. and when you're the only one like you in a room there is a natural tendency to want to just kind of blend in but what you learn during debate or what you learn at an HBCU or if you have the blessing of having a family or a community that teaches you um, you you learn instead that when you're in that room you got to speak up and you've got to acquire the skills to know how to do that and to have the confidence to do it you know I mentor a lot of people and I always tell them, your entire life you will have many experiences where you're the only one like you in that room, only one looks like you, only one who's had the experiences you've had. And when you sit in that room, you have to remember, we are all in that room with you. Yeah, what's the and Maya so, Angelou quote? Uh, I'm not alone because I, I stand with 10, I'm, yeah, I got 10,000 right. 10, with 10, me. 000, yeah, right. yeah. It's funny because I put my kids in debate class because of that, to be able to use their words to fight back and not have to use their hands and That's still right. hurt just the same. And you got to objectively see both sides, right? And, mm-hmm. and and also, and to your point, also, the the great thing about learning debate is that you learn there are rules of debate. Right. You know, because also to your point, when you argue, some people would suggest that's pure emotion and that if you're getting in an argument with somebody, you're just emotional and unreasonable. Mm-hmm. What debate teaches you is, no, it's actually quite civilized to stand up and disagree with someone. And there are rules about how you do it Mm -hmm. because that is what is done among thinking people. You do debate. I mean, you can go back to history in different forms of debate. The dozens. Yes, That was debate. 100%. That was debate. Yes, until you didn't like what they said and you just fought. And you just keep (laughs) going. (laughs) You started fighting. Right? But but that was debate. Gotcha. I have a question. You know, you, you mentioned, of course, we went to HBCUs. How important is the HBCU? Because we got away from it a couple of years ago. Yeah. And, I, and I'm looking at a lot of the colleges and attendance and enrollment is low. So how important yeah. is HBCU to you and, and especially black families? Let me tell you, I am who I am today mm-hmm. for two reasons. Because of my mother and the family I was raised in and Howard University and HBCU. What you and I know mm-hmm. When we walked onto that campus for the first time, we were surrounded by people that look like us. Mm-hmm. All, everywhere, everybody. Um, you walk onto, and I'll just speak about Howard, but I know Hampton is the same. Mm-hmm. You walk onto that campus, you can look over one area and you will see a bunch of young African-Americans who are students who are in the business school walking around with briefcases. Mm-hmm. You look over at another area and they're walking around in leotards because they're in the, the, the fi- School of Fine Arts. The, the football captain and star and the homecoming queen and the debate team and there are sororities and fraternities. And what you learn at an HBCU is you do not have to fit into somebody's limited perspective on what it means to be young, gifted, and black. Mm. You can be all those things. When I was at Howard, I pledged a sorority. I was on the debate team. I was the chair of the economic society. Mm-hmm. And I went to my share parties, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you didn't have to choose. You could be fully actualized. And there was such beauty to that because this country still has such a limited view of what it means for a person to be young and smart and black. And so at those years when you're learning your identity, to be in that environment where basically everybody just says to you, you can be whatever you want to be. And by the way, 
And if you don't, it's because you need to work harder, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Because that's the other thing that Absolutely. happens. You can't walk away and say, oh, it's because of my skin color that I didn't get that. Nope. Right. Nope. That's not it. So it's a wonderful, um, it's a wonderful place to learn who you are and to be proud of who you are and to leave them with the confidence of walking into the world. Also knowing one other thing. You know, people from time to time will come up to you and they'll say, Oh, you're special. You're unique. And I tell people, don't let don't let anybody tell you that. Because there is there is something about being told that that also suggests you're the only one like you. Mm which means you're alone. And what an HBCU reminds us of, no, we come with people. Mm. We got people. There are a lot of us. We're not alone, mm. right? What made you want to go to HBCU? Was it a different world? <laughs> <laughs> no, I had family members that went to Howard. Okay. I wanted to go to Howard, yeah. Got you. Well, she has to, she has to go, so one last one, bro. Well, I, I saw you talking about uh, corporate donations. Yeah. And, and you said you, you, would, you depended, depends whether you would take them or not. I think that money has had such an outside influence on politics mm. and especially with the Supreme Court it, determining Citizens United, which basically means that big corporations can spend unlimited amounts of money influencing a campaign, right? We're all supposed to have an equal vote, but money has now really tipped the balance between an individual having equal power in an election to a corporation. So I've actually made a decision since I had that conversation that I'm not going to accept corporate pack checks. Wow. Um, I just, I'm not. So how are you going to raise money for campaigns and stuff? Well, you know, I've, I've raised so far this year $3 million for my colleagues mm-hmm. for the 2018 election cycle. And most of that money has been like an $18, $20 increments. People are turning out. Well, well what's the can, website? Yeah, well, give yeah, me how the can website. Go to KamalaHarris.org and you will find it. And listen, K-A-M-A-L-A, Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S. If you decide to run for president in 2020, we'll do a fundraiser for you right here on the radio. No, we definitely will. We did one last year for uh, Harry Belafonte's organization, Change oh, for Change. Good. We raised good. like 800, oh, 800, 800 grand. grand. Wow. So we, we, can, we can get you a million or two. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, if you decide, to, if <laughs> you decide <laughs> to run. Has that ever been a dream of yours? Have you ever thought about it? I had so many dreams. I had so many dreams. Good answer. I do, though. I really do. <laughs> I do see the beauty of you know, everything that you raised in terms mm-hmm. of the the reaction and the other side of, of the tragedy of what's happening. And that gives me a great sense of, of optimism about our future. And in the history of our people, we march, Absolutely. we shout, we sing, we dance, right? Mm-hmm. Look at who just got the Pulitzer Prize. Mr. Kendrick Lamar. All Kendrick right. Lamar. You had him on your playlist, too. You yes, had Humble yes, on Yes, of course. <laughs> uh-huh. But look at that. Look at Beyonce and what she did at Coachella. Mm-hmm. Right? It has always been as part of our history that our artists, everybody is part of the movement. Everyone understands that it's about the expression of feeling. And, and we can do that with joy and with, with conviction and with purpose. Great. I think God is setting us up for a woman of color president in 2020. I'm with it. I think that it's Senator Kamala Harris. I think she's our future president. I'm with it. And uh, I hope she, I hope God puts his hands on her and mm. says, you know what? I want you to do this. All right. That's I, what hope I hope so as well. God's plan. Put that on your playlist too, Badri. All, All right. right. <laughs> well, we thank you for joining us. Thank you, guys. It's an honor to be with you. Thank uh, you for coming. All right. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. Your mornings will never be the same. Peace to the planet. I go by the name of Charlemagne the God. And look. 
Audible delivers all kinds of audio entertainment all in one app. You get an unbeatable selection of bestsellers and new releases, plus thousands of included titles to enjoy all you want. From select Audible originals to audiobooks to podcasts, including exclusive series. So whether you want to wind down with a best-selling memoir, check out the latest Audible original, or follow a new podcast. There's a listen for every moment and every mood with Audible. Start a free 30-day trial today at audible.com slash The Breakfast Club. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. Now, Charlamagne, you got a positive note? My positive note comes from the great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., man. The positive note is darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And that's on King. Breakfast Club, bitches! You all finished or y'all done? Don't tolerate the same stuff. You don't F with people the same. You're closer to your inner self. You're focused on your goals and you take better care of you. Time to break out of your old shell and become the best version of yourself. Breakfast Club, bitches! You all finished or y'all done?